The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. As you're being seated, I have a question I want to ask you. Have you read your Bibles this week? Oh, we need more unity. Have you read your Bible this week? All right. Good, good, good. If we do nothing else, if we encourage you to be in your word, reading the Bible, God will do great things in our midst. All right, let me ask you, uh, as you read through the, these chapters, chapters 7 and 8, you probably were disturbed by some of the material in there, and I can understand that. Um, that's why I think it's great, the songs that, that Granger planned for us to sing this morning, reminding us of God's love as we read about God's discipline and judgment on sin. So let me ask you, if, if you're a father, and we are a loving father, as we should be, and you find out that there is... Uh, some bad things going on in your family, is it more loving to deal with those things or to ignore those things? That's right. It's more loving to deal with them than to ignore them. And so that's what we see today. We actually see some disturbing verses of judgment brought on sin. But what we need to understand, this is actually God's grace, God's love. It is a gift from God that He addresses the sin that is in the camp and the people of Israel. Just to kind of remind us where we are in our story, we read the Bible. It is a book that God has written for us to read. And so we need to remember where we are in the story. In chapter 6 last week, we saw what we always call the Battle of Jericho. And we saw how that is a picture of total devotion to the Lord. The Lord said, devote everything to me. It's all mine and everything in it's mine. And so everything should be devoted to me and you and your lives should be devoted to me as well. And we saw a picture of everything going great. In fact, chapter 6 is a picture of heaven on earth, a picture of the day where God's people, when Christ returns, will be praising shouts to the glory of God, and God will bring judgment on His enemies, and He will establish His reign and His rule on a new heavens and a new earth. It's a a beautiful picture of that day. And it looks like, in chapter 6, Israel is going to fulfill the covenant that God made with Abraham. God told Abraham... Your people, the people of Israel, will be in the land of, I promise, the promised land, and they will extend my blessings to all the nations as they live in trusting obedience to me. And that will display my great glory. Well, it looked like things were going great in chapter 6, but not all is as it appears. As we see in chapter 7, Israel has a secret sin in their body and it is destroying them. Oftentimes, the scripture used the people of Israel as a person, the servant of the Lord. In this case, it's helpful to think of that in those terms because it helps us look at our own life. As we see secret sin in the people of Israel, it challenges us to examine our own lives for secret sin that we're allowing to fester and linger in our lives. We'll be challenged today to root it out. It also is a picture of Analogous, Israel is analogous to the church. The church represents the people of God. And when we see in Israel how sin affects the the greater body of Israel, we will be reminded of how sin has an impact on all of us in the local church. That one person can have devastating effects on the entire body. And so we must deal with it. It is not loving to ignore it. It is loving to deal with it. If we allow sin to linger, it will destroy 
If we allow it to linger in our own lives, it will destroy us. So it's not kind for a friend to know that I have sin in my life and to say, I'm not going to talk about that. It might offend. If you are my friend, you will talk about sin in my life if you really love me. And that's what we see in the scriptures. That loving, the loving thing to do is to deal with sin. And we're going to look at how we can deal with sin. So today, what we see in chapter 7 and chapter 8 is way too much material for me to be able to go through. We're going to basically work through chapter 7. And I'm just going to tell you what happens in chapter 8. In chapter 7, what we see happening is they think we're good with God based on what just happened in Jericho. They find out things don't go well in the next battle. And they start to figure out what is wrong, what happened, why has God not given us victory? And they discover their secret sin in the camp. They deal with it. They root it out. And then they get right with God. And God is with them once again. And in chapter 8, we see, we won't read it all, but what God does in chapter 8 is He begins to restore them and give them victory once again after they have dealt with this sin. So let's look, what we're going to look at today is how destructive this secret sin was on Israel. In the first service, I said I had eight consequences of sin, numbered them one through eight somehow. And then afterwards, a few people were like, I counted seven. I reviewed my notes. I had seven. I skipped one of the numbers. Somehow I got eight. So we're going to clarify this, this, this service. There are seven points today, seven consequences of sin. I don't know what happened somewhere in the middle. So today, seven consequences of sin. Keep in mind, all of this is a gift from God telling us He loves us enough to deal with sin so it does not totally destroy us. Lord, we need your help this morning. Lord, if we're honest, we all have secret sin. And we need to root it out. And we need to lay it at your feet. We need to turn from it. And give it to you, trusting you'll forgive us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning I pray that all throughout the service you will make us miserable with our secret sin. Until we will finally let go of it and turn it over, turn away from it. So that you can restore us to a place of glorious blessing with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, number one, sin is a breach of trust with God. Number one, sin, if you're taking note, you're going to write seven of these. Number one, sin is a breach of trust with God. I get this from verse one, Joshua 7, 1. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, or the Hebrew is Achan. I'm not going to do that. We're going to go redneck. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. So we see very quickly, chapter 6 is like, man, everything is going great. God is with them. God is bringing down the walls and Jericho is just shouting praise to the Lord. And then it says, but they acted unfaithfully. But notice The interesting dynamic here. Israel, the people, this is a plural pronoun. The people of Israel acted unfaithfully. For the one individual, Achan, disobeyed God. This is a concept that's called corporate solidarity. The body, the the responsibility of one person's sin is extended to the whole body. One individual 
One person who walked into the battle of Ai or in the battle of Jericho, God did his thing. And he's just like, man, God is so good. And they see this awesome gold and stuff that they're like, I know God said, don't take it. I know God said, put it in the treasury for the, for the kingdom purposes of God. But it's really not that big a deal. I'm just going to take a little bit. And they put it under the tent. And they hide it. Nobody knows about it. Nobody's hurt. It's not that big a deal. And they start marching into the next battle. They don't take many men. And we see this is a problem. In fact, it's so much so that it says that Israel, the whole body, acted unfaithfully because of that one person's secret sin. And it says that God was angered. It angered the Lord. Now, anytime I mention the anger of the Lord, I feel obligated to stop and explain the difference between our anger and God's anger. The Lord's anger is not like our anger, at least not usually. Our anger usually is sinful anger. Even at things that we are rightfully angry about, usually we are sinful in our anger. Usually it's fits of rage. Usually we lash out sinfully with that anger. But that's not the way it is with God. God's not sinful in His anger. Righteous anger is a concept in the Scriptures that there are things that God is right to be angry about. If you have a child playing in the street and you've told them time and time again, stop playing on Ockley Avenue, there's a lot of cars that come flying around that corner. It is dangerous when you see your child playing in the street. You have righteous indignation. And you are right to be upset and you are right to take corrective steps to protect that child. It is right for God to be angry. His anger is calm, settled displeasure with sin. And it's because, why does God get angry about this? Because he loves us. And if you love someone and you see something destructive for them, you are not going to be pleased with that. So God is angry. Sin brings anger to the Lord. Why is it such a big deal? It's just a little gold. It was just a little silver. It's not that big a deal. Here we see the reason is because sin is a breach of trust. He says the language here is that Israel acted unfaithfully. That's covenant marriage, covenant language. It says that God... When he viewed that little small act, it wasn't just the fact that, they, that he stole the little silver. It's the fact that he broke trust. It's like in a marriage. If a spouse thinks it's okay to flirt with someone other than their spouse, they say, oh, that's no big deal. I didn't do anything. Are you kidding me? That is a complete disrespect. It's a complete breach of our trust. Our marriage is built on a covenant trust. And no matter how little it is, it is a breach of that trust. So I ask you, what little sin have you got that is your little secret pet sin that you just think it's not that big a deal? God is telling us today, it is a breach breach of trust. It is a terrible offense against God who has entered in a loving covenant relationship with you. And to allow that to linger is like a spouse committing adultery on their spouse. It is a breach of trust. There is no such thing as a little sin. It all is a breach of trust with God. 
Sin is a breach of trust with God, number one. Number two, sin weakens the people of God. Look at verses 2 through 5. Kevin already read it, but now it says, Now Joshua sent the men from Jericho into Ai, which is near Bethaven and Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went and spied it out. They returned to Joshua and said, Hey, it's no big deal. There are not very many of them, and so they don't, don't take a lot of people. Verse 4, he says, So about 3,000 men went up, but they fled. The men of Israel fled from Ai. Verse 5, the men of Ai struck down about 36 of Israel's men and they pursued Israel's men from the gate as far as the Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Right off the hills of Jericho where God said, I got this. And the people of Jericho just blew trumpets and shouted praise to the Lord and God wiped them out. Now they step into the next battle. God's with us. Let's go. They send out spies. Oh, there's not not a big group of them. We got this. They send up and they lose the battle. And now the scriptures are describing Israel the exact same way that the Canaanites, the ungodly people were described in the previous verses. It says their hearts were melted. That's how we've been reading the descriptions of the ungodly people. So now, in a moment, the people of God are described as the sinful nations. Their hearts are melted before God. In an instant, it changed. It has weakened the power of God. It has weakened the people of God. They had such power and strength, not because of themselves, but because God was fighting on their behalf. The problem was not that they too quickly rushed in the war. The problem was not that they were just didn't pray long enough. The problem was not that these warriors and I were better warriors than Jericho. The problem is none of that. The problem has already been said clearly to us. The problem is there was secret sin in the person in the people, and it was weakening them for their battle. Oftentimes we think we're getting away with secret sin. This reminds us sin always has consequences. If we are, the title of Joshua, the series is the battle of faithfulness. If we are in a battle of faithfulness, why would we do something that clearly undercuts our own legs? Why would we flirt with sin? Why would we think it's okay when it clearly is going to work against us? It robs us of the power of God. Sin weakens the people of God. Root it out. Sin is a breach of trust with God, number one. Number two, sin weakens the people of God. Number three, sin hinders the testimony of God's people. Look at verses 6 through 9. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes. He fell on, his, on the earth, on his face, before the ark of the Lord until the evening. Both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. They are in repentance, and they are seeking the Lord. Joshua says, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring us to this people? Why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Sin hinders the testimony of God's people. It's an interesting passage. Many people debate over whether 
uh, Joshua is doing the right thing here or not. Some people say he sounds whiny, just like the Israelites, that every time when something went wrong, he's whining. And I see that. But I also think that Joshua is doing the right thing. He's leading God's people. He's pastoring them into this direction. And he sees what's going on. He says, something's wrong. Something's wrong. God's not with us. He's not fighting for us. And he says, hold everything. And he gets the leaders of God's people and he hits this hits his knees, and he's face down, and he says, Lord, what is going on? And notice his concern. What will you do for your great name? We saw last week in Jericho, the battle of Jericho, that total devotion means we are all about God getting glory in our lives. This church exists to bring glory to the name of Jesus. My life, your life exists to bring glory to the name of Jesus who created you and saved you. And he says here, God, we are, we are being defeated and this is not good for the name of your great name. The name is the character of God. It's the reputation of God. His concern is about their reputation. He says, what will you do, Lord? Please show us what will you do to preserve your own name. When we live with secret sin in our life, it hinders our ability to testimony, our ability to testify to the glory of God. It is the complete antithesis of our gospel message. Our gospel message says that by grace we've been saved through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have turned from that way of life. We have turned from that sin and love and grace. We are turning to holiness. And yet we allow a secret sin to linger in our life, thinking that we can just keep praising God. And he says, you must root it out. Sin is a breach of trust with God. Sin weakens the people of God. Sin hinders the testimony of God's people. Number four, sin destroys intimacy with God. We've all experienced this, haven't we? Sin destroys intimacy with God. In verses 10 through 15, we read, The Lord said to Joshua, Rise up! Why is it you've fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have taken some of the things under the ban, which both they've stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put the things among their own things. And therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up. Consecrate the people. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Thus says, For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. God says, If you don't deal with sin, if you think it's not important, if you don't take sin seriously, then you will not have the presence of God. The people of God who have the presence of God hate sin like God hates sin. You must deal with it. You cannot allow it to linger. He tells Joshua, as Joshua goes to the Lord, says, Oh, Lord, what is wrong? Lord, bless us. Lord, give us victory. Lord, oh, those good days. Lord, please, God, do it for your name's sake. He says, well, get rid of the sin. Get up. Deal with it. You must deal with the sin. 
Right now. Don't let it linger. Don't let it fester. I'm a holy God and I cannot allow sin to dwell in my midst. It must be dealt with because it destroys our intimacy with God. He says, I will not go with you if you don't deal with the sin. Root it out. Sin is a breach of trust with God. Sin weakens the people of God. Sin hinders the testimony of God's people. Sin brings trouble on the people of God. Verses 14 through 26, this whole scene unfolds of all the trouble that starts to unfold. And here's what God tells them to do. God says, this unified people... All the nation is viewed as one. And he says, I want all the tribes, all 12 of them to come by. And then he says, tribe of Judah. Singles Judah out. I want all the families of the tribe of Judah to come by. And he says, this family. And I want all this family to come by, one by one. Man by man. Until he finally says, it's Achan. In verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to Achan's tent. And behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. And they took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the sons of Israel. And they poured out all this stuff in front of the Lord that Achan had taken. Then, the, then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the sons of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, the tent, and all that belonged to them. They all brought it to the valley of Achor, which means trouble. They brought all this to the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. Verse 26, Therefore the name of this place shall be called the valley of trouble. Sin brings trouble in your life, in your family's life, in the church's life. It must be rooted out. You may think you don't see consequences with it right now, but I promise you, trouble is coming. That's what the wisdom of maturity is, that we've walked that road. We've seen where it leads. We thought we were getting away with it. And then trouble comes. And then it's awful. Point of this verse is trouble, 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 trouble. Sin brings trouble. And notice the type of trouble it's bringing. Not only devastating to Achan, the one who committed the sin, not only does it bring trouble on himself, it brings trouble on his wife and his children. It brings trouble on the church. What's the nature of the trouble in the church? It divides them. They were a one unified people. And we see it just slowly, deliberately in all these verses that I didn't read. Verse after verse, the author slows the story down and says, One tribe before another tribe. They were one people. Now the tribe of Judah is singled out. And now of the tribe of Judah, this family is divided out. And of that family, man by man, Personal, individual pronouns are used now. And it's just this one, Achan, isolated by himself. That's what sin does. It divides. It brings devastation. It brings isolation. 
No wonder God says, we've got to deal with this. If you're harboring sin in your life, you need to know whether you realize it or not. It is bringing division in your own self between you and the Lord. It is bringing division between you and your spouse. It is bringing division between you and your parents. It is dividing you. It is separating you. It is isolating you. That's what the devil wants to do is to get you away to the side by yourself in the shroud of darkness and secrecy where it just gets worse and worse and worse to the point where you are believing his awful lie that you're the only one and you cannot Share this. You cannot admit your sin. You can do anything to cover it up. But whatever you do, don't admit this to anyone. And it's destroying you and your family and your church. That's why God hates it. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. And that's why he hates the sin. Sin is a breach of trust with God. Sin weakens the people of God. Sin hinders the testimony of God's people. Sin brings trouble on the people of God. Number six, sin deserves the wrath of God. It's hard to see in these historical records of physical representations of spiritual realities. This is a picture of the coming judgment on sin All of Israel, verse 25, the second part, all of Israel stoned them with stones, burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. The Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. In this fearful description of the wrath of God on sin, we see the beautiful picture of atonement, where the Lord's wrath is satisfied, so the Lord turns from his fierce anger on sin. The Bible makes it clear that sin deserves the wrath of God. I think we all understand that. We don't enjoy thinking about it, but we all know from our own lives that it is right and just to punish sin. I say it a lot, but it's just easy to relate to. If someone... A criminal does something awful to someone in your family, you know very instinctively it's right and just to punish it. The wrath of God upon sin must be completely satisfied. It must be absorbed. It must be completely dealt with. That's what this picture is. It is a picture of a whole burnt offering, all of the sin being dealt with. You see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see it in the flood narratives. You see it all over the place. God must punish sin. And if we all know that we are all sinful and we cannot have sin in the presence of a holy God, then what in the world are we to do? And that's where we should be when we read this. I am just like Achan. I've got secret sins. I've done exactly what God told me not to do and I hope nobody found out. What do I do? And that's how we get to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus stood and was stoned and was crucified and was mocked and was murdered. 
But he did that by choice to take the wrath of God that you deserve, that I deserve for my sin, and that you deserve for your sin. He took it because he loves you. He roots it out. He deals with it. He absorbs the wrath. He was completely obliterated. He dealt with it. And when it was done, he said, it is finished. That's glorious truth. It's hard to see sin on display like this. It's hard to see punishment on display. But the reason it's a gift is because it cries to us the need for someone to take my sin away. And that's the gospel. It is not something that you can do on your own. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't be good enough. All of us are like aching. We are standing there and Jesus steps in and says, I'll take it. Will you let him take it? I don't understand why someone wouldn't do it. Why would anyone not accept his gift? It's glorious. Receive the gift of eternal life and forgiveness and be declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ today. Sin deserves the wrath of God. And Jesus will take that wrath for you. Finally, number seven, sin requires a new covenant. Basically, chapter eight is the story of them getting another chance because God is gracious. In chapter eight, after they've dealt with their sin, God says, all right, now let's go. But we do see the lingering effects of sin and living in a fallen kingdom Now it requires battles, it requires scheming, it requires work. The plans have been affected. The lingering effects of sin are seen in God's plan for them is, okay, now you go in there, you lure them out, you ambush them, and it's it's more complicated. It's not like it was. It's not heaven on earth. It's not where God just does it and the people are praising God. And it's a picture of where we are now. As believers in Christ who have had Christ deal with our sin... We live each day waiting for the day that he finally establishes the Jericho-type kingdom on earth where, where we have no more battle with sin, that where Christ is reigning and ruling and we're enjoying and praising God for his glorious reign and rule. Until then, we're in a battle. We battle day in and we battle day out with our sin. And we see we need a new covenant. In chapter 8, verse 30, this covenant is displayed and very powerfully. This is what... In chapter 8, verse 30, we hear a description of what Moses said to do when they get into the land. I want you to go and do this. And here's what he says. Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stone on which no man had wielded iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings onto it. All this is picturing Jesus for us. As I read this, just hear Jesus all over the place. They offered an altar of uncut stone, which no man had wielded an iron tool. They offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. And they sacrificed peace offerings. He wrote there on the stones a copy of the word of God, the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. All of Israel with the elders and officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark, the presence of God before the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as the native. Half of them stood on Mount Gerizim, and half of them stood in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, 
had told them, had given a command at first to bless the people of Israel. Then afterwards he read out all the word of God, the blessings and the curses, according to all that's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. There's so much here, but here's the bottom line. Jesus fulfills the old covenant for us. Jesus purchases the blessings of obedience for you by his perfect obedience. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God that you and I deserve. He took the curses of God upon himself by the blood. Jesus offers a new covenant that replaces this old covenant that didn't work because every single one of us is just like Achan. And we sin and we offend and we rebel and we deserve punishment. But Jesus offers a new covenant. He says, you're not going to make it. You're going to do the same thing Achan did. You're going to do the same thing every single story in your Old Testament tells you that they did. You will not be able to be perfect, but Jesus was perfect for you. He is the word of God. He is the presence of God. He is the very one who kept all the commands of God. He purchased the blessings of God. He absorbed the curses of God for us. Jesus is your hope for sin. And as you turn from your sin and you see God's glorious gift, forgiveness that you and I don't deserve, when you receive that forgiveness and you are declared righteous and you are made a son, a child of God and you know God loves you because he's a good, good father. He loves you like no one has ever loved you. When you grasp that, you will say with the Lord, Lord, root the sin out of my life. I do not want it to destroy my life. I do not want it to destroy my spouse, my family, my marriage. I do not want it to destroy my kids if I'm a child. I do not want it to destroy my relationship with my parents or my brothers and sisters. I do not want it to destroy my community group. I do not want to destroy my church, Lord. Root it out and you go to the cross, which is all about grace. When you feel trust, when you feel safe with someone, you are able to be honest. There is no safer place than the cross of Jesus. And there is no safer place than the church filled with people who know that they're aching in this story. And you can say, God, I agree. That's what confess means. I agree. This is sin. This is devastating. This is destructive I don't want this in my life. And I know that you've promised the blood of Jesus. And that when I think about Jesus on that cross, that's the wrath that I deserve. And I lay it on Jesus. And then we stand up and we walk forward again, battling forward. To enjoy the plans and the purposes and the peace. Oh, the peace that comes when that is let go. And the power of God giving you a fruitful ministry and a strong testimony. 
Because it's not about you and how good you are. It's about God and how good he is in Jesus. May the Lord consecrate us. May we see the foolishness of thinking we can hide our sin. May we be renewed by the blood of Jesus. Let times of refreshing come. Let's pray. Oh, glorious God of grace. Touch every heart in this room right now, Lord. Touch us with your love. Show us that you provide a safe place to confess our sin to you. To turn away from that sin. And to be restored to your peace and your power as we battle forward according to your plans and your promises and your purposes. All because Jesus took the curses of our sin and in his perfect obedience, he purchased the blessings of God for us. And in response, may we give our lives in total devotion to you. For your name is great and greatly to be praised. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.